Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the week one XFL Fantasy Flex, a.k.a. the X-Flex on the Action Network podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. In this episode, we are breaking down the XFL futures market. We're looking for value in the week one betting lines, and we are highlighting some players we like for daily fantasy XFL. Yes. And with me, as always, are Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is our director of predictive analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy football rankers for the past half decade. And Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of the Action Network show on Sirius XM, Fantasy Sports Radio, and a top five fantasy football ranker for the 2019-20 NFL season. Guys, I got to say, I have never been so exhilarated looking at archive stats for Monmouth's football team to see what a third-string tight end might be able to do. Uh, How are you guys doing? Uh, How excited are you for the XFL? I am. I'm pretty excited. I think it's uh, it's good to have some football after some football. Um, I'll, I'll probably get a little more excited starting in week two when we have, I think, a week of data and when the uh, the Oscars are over. I love to uh, build models for them, so I'm kind of juggling Oscars model and XFL model uh, at the same time. But I, I will. I'm pretty excited to uh, to have a legitimate football week that hopefully does not fold. Uh, you know, after the first season. No, no, don't even bring that, that bad juju in here. This league is going the distance for at least yeah. a season and a half. Agreed. Yeah, I think Vince McMahon will allow that to happen. But, yeah, it was, it was fun, you know, after, what, five straight months of grinding NFL, the very next morning after the season, I'm sitting here scouring <laughs> through preseason film to watch two plays from a couple of these guys in the NFL and trying to, you know – judge how good they are based on that. But yeah, it's good to kind of wind down from football by getting to project um, this brand new league with people we're sort of unfamiliar with. So it's, it's good sort of, you know, we don't want to just like quit football cold Turkey. So we get, you know, a good 10 week season here to uh, still use our skills. To kind of, like a yeah, cool down. To stay, yeah. To stay <laughs> sharp and uh, kind of yeah. start to gear back up for projecting for the NFL. Let's talk a little bit about the process of handicapping Vegas lines and projecting players for a league that uh, hasn't played a game yet, because I found that to be uh, a a fascinating exercise in probably futility, but uh, it was fun to go through it all the same. Sean, how are you projecting things? Like, just kind of talk through the process. So from, you know, like sports betting, you know, point spread in total, uh, you really can't. Uh, I would say it's mostly subjective right now. Um, You know, the the tricky part of mathematical modeling, um, you you do need data and we don't have that. Um, But nobody does. That's that's the beauty of this is nobody really has an edge. So the market can be exploitable. To be honest, I don't think I'm going to be betting many futures at all. And week one, I'll be a little bit more cautious. I think when we get to like week two. Once we have one week of data and film, I think you'll see people probably overreact or underreact. I think the key is just um, 
heading into the season kind of have priors. We'll talk about each team, um, just an overall view. I think, you know, things like uh, coaching and the quarterback will be the two most important things heading into the season. So we'll touch on those. And then I think from there, it's just updating our priors after week one. You know, if the Kansas City Chiefs lose week one of the NFL season, we don't overreact so much. We know they're good. But if, you know, the Tampa Bay Vipers, I think they are, if they happen to lose week one, um, our priors can't be that confident to begin with. So we can update them a little bit more drastically than we would say the Kansas Chiefs who we're familiar with. So I think the unfamiliarity, um, we're going to want to assume teams are more average than not, at least a star. I think that's the way I'm going to approach it. Rayvon, how are you approaching this? Yeah, kind of the same way. You know, I think with the priors, it just comes down to, um, you know, you want a kind of weak average number for, for yards per attempt and yards per carry and uh, plays per game and all that good stuff, which that's one of the hardest parts because I think, you know, with this little two-minute comeback period, they're calling it, um, where teams are, would probably be passing for most of that, uh, that could kind of create some volatility in terms of the, the projected plays. But, yeah, I'm kind of approaching it the same way. I'm looking at uh, for quarterbacks just – how, how many passes they completed uh, in college or if any, uh, you know, NFL, any AAF action they may have had. And, and just kind of basing it off that, you know, and, and kind of what we know from our NFL modeling, you know, okay, how many, you know, what the leading receiver for a team, what percentage of the you know, catches does he usually get? You know, what is the standard deviation between, you know, all of the different guys, you know, so the next guy would get, you know, maybe three or 4% less and so on and so forth. So it's just really a matter of kind of ordering these guys in terms of the depth chart and, having it league averages and then you're just kind of you're not really deviating too far from the week like the best the difference between my best quarterback and my worst quarterback in week one uh, is maybe like 0.3 yards per attempt or something like that so you're trying to just um be, be pretty conservative just enough so that there's a difference between you know each of the players and, and the teams but um really you're just waiting for more data to kind of update uh, update your uh your, your model so uh, a, a few thoughts on this. One is that uh, I read uh, an interview uh, with Oliver Luck, uh, the commissioner of the XFL, in which he said that uh, in the scrimmages they did, uh, there was an average of 173 plays. And not all of those were offensive plays. So, you know, some kickoffs, two-point conversions, whatever. But I'm thinking that there will probably be around 150-ish offensive plays per game just because of, of the way that they have uh, structured the rules with uh, the, the shorter game clock uh, and everything like that. So uh, that is kind of uh, an intriguing thing to kind of uh, to go through the mental process of calibrating uh, more, more plays per game. Does that necessarily translate into more points per game? If you look right now in the betting markets, I don't see anywhere a book that has released totals for this game. Uh, and if we look back a year uh, and use our experience with the Alliance of American Football as some sort of guideline, their totals were horrendous for the first few weeks of the season. Um, they were very much inflated uh, and they got killed to the under. And, you know, within a matter of a month, they quickly adjusted their totals down. But for that first month, they were very exposed. And so I will be curious to see, one, where these lines come out. Um, if they actually do release totals, which I imagine they, they have to, but where those totals actually are, and then two, how exploitable those totals actually are for the first month or so of the season. I, I think if there's an edge to be had, it will probably be more on the totals 
and less with the spreads. But uh, I could be wrong about that. Let's talk a little bit about some kind of big picture DFS strategy. And, and Raybon, I want to kick it to you. How do you play fantasy in a league that is totally unknown? You know, like how, how do you kind of get in the, the mental mindset of building a DFS lineup where we don't know anything? Well, I think you do have to kind of look at these the spreads and kind of go off that. You know, that would be, you know, you could kind of project totals by, you know, a bare bones approach way to do it would just be you take, you know, what you think the league average points per game is going to be combined for both teams. And, you know, we, ha- we do have uh, spreads and you just kind of, you know, uh, insert the, you know, insert the spread and kind of calculate the, um, the, the points for each team. And um, I think for me, it just, it's looking at the quarterbacks uh, for the most part and then trying to figure out, okay, you know, we, it's not like we don't know anything about these players. You know, a lot of these guys, especially the, the pass catchers that we expect to be targeted the most, uh, these guys have had NFL experience, preseason NFL experience uh, uh, particularly, or, um, you know, AAF experience. So we do have kind of a sample size and it's really just kind of going off that and looking for the upside because I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, no one knows anything, like, like you said. And so uh, just having that, those one or two guys that goes off, I think that is going to, you know, that's going to be really helpful, you know, even in cash games. And I think in tournaments, probably what I would say is, you know, there are, you know, some quote unquote big names or bigger names than, than the others. And there are some guys who I think are going to get a lot of attention or, or buzz because for example, they are a really good athlete or something like that, you know? Um, so those are the guys I think in tournaments, maybe you fade a little bit and you try to find some guys that uh, have put up good numbers uh, and maybe not the best athlete or something like that. That's easy to kind of parse out. And, and, you know, for somebody that doesn't really know anything about these players to say, okay, well, he's a 99 percentile spark athlete. And then all of a sudden this guy is like 40% owned, um, you know, just kind of try to um, pivot off those guys to some guys who, you know, have, have had decent production are expected to, to start or, or not, but maybe aren't as quite as flashy in, in terms of uh, their athleticism or something like that. Sean, what do you think? Yeah, so when it comes to DFS, it's a much different story, at least with my approach. I'm more confident, you know, creating player, uh, player projections right off the bat. I mean, I, I do know a lot of these players. Um, and when, when you make player projections, you, you take a lot of the randomness out of it because you're, you know, you're projecting a specific player. Of course, there's going to be a ton of luck and randomness, uh, especially in week one. But um, you, the way you have to think about it is no one's going to be making extremely accurate projections. You just have to be better than average. Um, so I found, you know, when it comes to things like this, like uh, the Pro Bowl, NBA All-Star Game, or when they first um, brought in college football, basketball, and DFS, WNBA, I always found my biggest edge was like right off the bat before everybody was able to catch up and stuff. So I'll be playing DFS aggressively from the start. Uh, I think week one, um, obviously th- there might be something like Elijah Hood will get zero carries or something, something random like that might happen. But overall, I think that's going to be where the edge is. Uh, initially and then sports betting probably about like I said week two to week three um, we might we'll have enough data and film to kind of have an edge there but DFS will be attacking pretty aggressively right off the bat all right so let's jump into uh, the analysis of, of the futures market we'll go team by team and as we're doing that we'll also blend in some uh, some week one discussion and also some DFS talk and let's start with the team at the top of the board Dallas Renegades, 
Their odds to win the championship are plus 400 at FanDuel. Obviously, best to shop around. That's the best line I was able to find. They are favored. Their win total at Caesars is six. In week one, they opened as six-and-a-half-point favorites at home against the St. Louis Battlehawks. That line has moved to seven-and-a-half. Guys, what are your thoughts on this team in general uh, and also the week one line? Well, let me just first start off by saying, yeah, I think they're – on paper, they're probably the favorites. Um, you know, they have Bob Stoops as a head coach. I think um, he'll be good for a league that requires innovation. And, you know, this is a pretty unique league. So I think he'll be good. Um, and Landry Jones is arguably the best quarterback, which is hard to say, getting screwed by him um, in DFS preseason a few years back. But um, I think with them, their odds are over in play right now because Landry Jones, I think he might miss week one um, yeah. and even farther. So, um, they have Phil Nelson, who we remember from the AAF. I think that'll be a hit to their power rating. So I think that they're, they're a team I'll probably fade, um, you know, out of the gate. Um, especially, you know, Landry Jones hasn't been able to practice for, I think, over a month now. That's going to be critical for, you know, a new league like this, trying to gain chemistry. Um, I think they might be, you know, a slower start team, and then you'd want to buy into them, say, by like week three or four. I think that's how I'm going to approach them, where they'll, they'll probably – be a little bit rusty out of the gate with Phil Nelson under center. And then um, they'll probably end up being one of the top teams. It'll just take a few weeks to get there. So if you are willing to fade the Dallas Renegades, you can come pretty darn close to arbitraging this league in the futures market by doing some simple line shopping. Uh, Not that I'm saying that is what you should do, but uh, I mean, it's just kind of the, the hallmark of a league that is in formation and no one really knows how to value these teams. So there are some, some rogue lines out there. Uh, Raybon, how are you approaching this team? Yeah, I agree with Sean. I think they, like that stuck out to me is, you know, you have this team kind of uh, with this, uh, you know, short odds to win the, the championship and, and, and these big favorites, but they're missing their starting quarterback or they, they will potentially be missing their starting quarterback. He hasn't been practicing. So uh, when I look at this team, I think, and, and you look at DFS and, uh, you know, you see, you see, uh, you know, Landry Jones, he's, uh, you know, over 9K. And I think there's, you know, Philip Nelson, he's 83. I think that he, he could be an interesting um, play if Jones is out. But overall, I think this team is going to be a little bit too highly owned because a lot of people are just going to kind of look at that Vegas line and say, okay, this team is – they're one of the best teams or they're the best team and just kind of hammer them. So I think I'll probably be going a little bit lighter on them um, in week one DFS. I still obviously uh, like uh, Jazz Ferguson. I think Freddie, Freddie Martino, he's an interesting one as well. He used to be on the, uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks, I believe, so I could see him uh, doing some things. And, and then they have Cameron Aris Payne, who I think – uh, you know, he, he'll probably be the lead back. I, I could see them going maybe a little run heavier if Jones is out. So um, Artis Payne would be a guy that I'd be, uh, I'd be, I'd be interested in too, because, uh, you know, we don't really have, we don't know exactly who is going to get all the carries and how they're going to split carries for these teams. But I think, you know, a, a good team, that's a, a big favorite, um, you know, they're projected number one back in a situation where their quarterback, you know, is a little unsure um, that, that, that seems kind of like a, a high upside spot for him for me. And he's, uh, he's at 6,800 on, on DraftKings, which, um, you know, it's the fifth highest price running back, but uh, overall it's, you know, there are many players, uh, especially at the wide receiver position uh, projected a, a lot higher. I mean, it's priced a lot higher, excuse me. 
Yeah. Uh, Artis Payne as uh, the, the number five uh, running back on the board in terms of price uh, for DraftKings. Very intriguing there, as you mentioned. Home favorite, playing without the starting quarterback. Uh, on a team that I think will be one of the highest scoring in the league, Artis Payne was productive in college. Uh, he's had you know a little bit of production in the NFL whenever he's been there. Um, I think he's, he's pretty interesting. Jazz Ferguson, you mentioned, uh, he's, he's my favorite guy uh, for the season and for the slate. Uh, I think he's – let me make sure I have this number right. He's 4,200, and I think he's going to be the number one receiver for this team. And, again, uh, we're expecting it to be a high-scoring offense. Not only do they have Bob Stoops, they have Hal Mummy, who is the godfather of the air raid offense. So I'm expecting them to tear it up. And Ferguson, uh, a four-star recruit, went to LSU, uh, wasn't very happy there, transferred, went to Northwestern State, Louisiana for his final season in college where he was dynamic, uh, a very strong producer. And then at the Combine, he was basically DK Metcalf-esque in in terms of his, his size and his speed. So I think he has a lot of potential I love him at 4,200. Uh, I bet this at six and a half. Uh, so I feel like I'm, I'm getting some value there. Uh, I just, I, I do have, even without the starting quarterback, I do have uh, some respect for Dallas. I think they are clearly one of the better teams in the league. And I don't really have much respect at all for the other team uh, in this matchup, St. Louis. So I'm happy to get it at six and a half. Don't think I would bet it at seven and a half just because we really know nothing. But uh, I'm, I'm interested in Dallas and especially Jazz Ferguson. Sean, uh, who is a DFS uh, option who stands out to you? Jazz Ferguson. He's my boy, too. So, yeah. I mean, at 4,200, they don't even – like, you have to play him. Um, yeah, so he's 6'5", 220, 4'4 uh, speed. He's only 23 years old. I actually thought he was going to make the Seahawks yeah. uh, roster he should this have. year. Yeah, with, with, you know, how thin they were at wide receiver. Eventually, they got Josh Gordon. Uh, but, I mean, he's going to be a beast, especially in the red zone. They also have Donald Parham at tight end, who's 6'8", 240. Um, he was the guy who was targeting in preseason DFS. He didn't really pan out, but I could see him being a red zone threat, too. So, they have some good red zone options. But, yeah, Jazz Ferguson at 4,200. I mean, that's he's an automatic play. I'm, I'm just hoping he's under, like, 60% ownership. I think that everybody's going to – like most sites have him ranked in the top five. So I think everybody's going to take him. Um, so there's some contrarian reasons to fade him, but I think yeah. at this price, I mean, you have to take him. But some people are really on uh, Jeff Bidette, um, the other wide receiver. Uh, you know, he's a speedy guy. He played at Oklahoma, so he knows the system, but uh, he wasn't super productive in college. Uh, you know, I get why there's some enthusiasm around him, but uh, I'm not uh, really interested in him, but some people really are. They think he's the number one receiver. So, uh, hopefully that sentiment could uh, potentially decrease the ownership rate that we see out of Jazz Ferguson. The other team in this matchup, St. Louis Battlehawks, their odds to win the championship are 10 to 1 at DraftKings and uh, a number of other books across the industry. Their win total at Caesars is three and a half, which is tied for the lowest mark we have, tied with the Seattle Dragons. Again, they are seven and a half point underdogs on the road. Sean. What do you think of the St. Louis Battlehawks? I mean, it, it seems like their head coaching staff is probably the most inexperienced. Um, they have Jonathan oh, yeah. Hayes and Chuck Long. So I think that's that's why they're, 
you know, um, underdogs here, and their their roster is pretty weak. I mean, to be fair, the the running backs are pretty solid. They have Christine Michael and Matt Jones. So I think, especially earlier in the season, if teams maybe they'll rely on the run more. It might it might take a couple of games for the passing game to gel for teams. So they might have that advantage early on. But other than that, I think they're probably going to be one of the worst teams. Having said that, you know, win total at three and a half, I would probably uh, take the over on that. You know, before we even see a team play, betting that a team will lose, you know, 70% of their games is still aggressive no matter what you think. So um, they would be kind of like the in the AF, the Birmingham Iron were the, um, you know, the, the worst team. And they had a low um, season win total and they surpassed that in like the first four games. So I think you could you can argue a team with a low win total like this, you might as well just bet the over. Because like I said, you, you want to expect teams to be closer to average than we think. But yeah, definitely on paper, they definitely look like one of the worst rosters. And, and this matchup in particular is um, pretty tough out of the gate. So, I, you know, I'm not really going to take a stab at the spread. I, I think it's worth pointing out that the spread's plus seven right now. Um, the way the two-point conversion, you know, the team's going to go for one, two, or three. Yeah. I don't think seven's going to be a key number. So I wouldn't think, oh, I'm getting seven. I'm getting a good number here. I think XFL, it's going to be pretty fluid. So I would just, I would almost treat all the numbers almost the same. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to just take them if uh, I think, you know, plus seven is a good number. It's, it's not like that. So um, I, I'm just staying away from the spread right now, but I, I'm just saying, I, I think this, you know, plus seven is not going to be as valuable as NFL. Yeah. Uh, I hear you there. You're right. One thing that is so fascinating is that this league, I think even more than the NFL, because of how the rules are structured, this league is predicated on having, uh, I think a, a good offensive mind, whether it's the head coach or coordinator, whatever it is, a good play caller and a good quarterback And this team, uh, I think has neither. That's not to, to say that Jordan Te'amu can't be a good quarterback. It's just that this was a guy who wasn't able to put up you know, a lot of great numbers in college, even though he had A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf as his starting wide receivers. And uh, Dawson Knox. Baby. And Dawson Knox as his tight end. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's not something that really uh, encourages a lot of enthusiasm. And then he has a head coach who's known as the tight end coach uh, under Marvin Lewis for years uh, in, in Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, the offensive coordinator, uh, Chuck Long, who last was uh, calling plays uh, for Kansas in 2011. Like, this is, this is not uh, a situation in which you think, oh, these guys are going to be innovative. They're really going to know how to maximize the skill that their quarterback has. So uh, I am, I'm very pessimistic. Raybon, what do you think about this team? Well, it's interesting because I think this is a team that for DFS purposes, especially in tournaments, uh, this could be an interesting uh, stacking team uh, if, because if we're all high on the, uh, you know, on Dallas, then, you know, you're going to have that, that, that two minute comeback period. You're going to have a, a, a game where maybe uh, St. Louis has to put up some points. And so, well, yeah, I think they have one of the worst uh, offensive rosters. You kind of look up and down the roster and you say, okay, well, somebody's going to have to catch the ball. Somebody's going to have to, um, you know, essentially try to keep pace in this game. So I think, uh, you know, perhaps they're, they're, they're top receivers. You know, they have uh, Mumphrey, who used to – who played some NFL ball, and they have uh, DeMorne Pearsonell, who spent last uh, – smaller, smaller receiver who spent the preseason with the Oakland Raiders. Uh, I think he caught nine, nine of 14 targets for 70 yards. So underneath kind of guy, but um, could potentially rack up some, some, some high PPR totals. So I think – 
guys like that, you know, if you're, if you're going to go with Dallas or kind of, you know, throw a lineup in with Ferguson or Bidette or maybe both of them, this is a team that I think will probably be low owned because of, um, you know, just because of the, the spreads and because of their roster, but that this might actually be a good team to stack in, in tournaments with some of those Dallas guys to get some differentiation. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I, I, I see your point. It's well taken. Uh, but I'm still kind of pessimistic, which I, is the thesis. That's, that's the, the reason for it in investing is that you will have too many people who are pessimistic, but I don't think it, it's uncertain how important the running game is going to be in the XFL. Yeah. And I think the strength of this offense is the running backs. Uh, so, uh, you know, Chris and Michael, Matt Jones, uh, Leonard, Leonard Tillery, uh, was a, a great player in college. Uh, you know, Keith Ford, I believe was at, uh, LSU, uh, sorry, Texas A&M, uh, and, and was, you know, productive there. Um, you take those guys out and this looks like one of the weakest skill position groups, uh, in the league. So, uh, I will probably be fading, but if, you know, if you want exposure, I think you either go contrarian as Chris said, uh, or, you know, uh, you think that. Kristen Michael finally uh, fulfills his potential in the XFL and has a, you know, a, a big, a big game here. Uh, corner, anyone you are interested in for DFS? Yeah, I think Christine Michael, um, he's the guy I'm willing to take a stab at. Um, like Rayvon mentioned earlier, I think wide receiver has a ton of value. So you're gonna have to spend up somewhere. So I, I have Michael as my um, number one running back for week one. Um, you know, he's still only 29. Um, we, we could see, you know, Trent Richardson in the AAF, um, so I'll come back, but he could dominate this league. So I, I think spending up to get him makes sense. I think he's guaranteed uh, a workhorse um, load to, to start the season. So I think getting that guaranteed production at running back makes sense week one where there's a lot more uncertainty and then wide receiver, um, we can take more flyers and stuff, but I, I'm, I'm not going to mess around too much at running back. So I think he's going to be my top play. I can't figure out who's going to be the number one receiver. Um, I do like Raybon's point. I think they'll be low owned, so you can throw in some flyers there. But I think just the, the only guy that I think is worth owning from this team is probably Michael. All right, that game is at 4 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Let's talk about the game before that, the New York Guardians against the Tampa Bay Vipers. Let's start with the Guardians. This is interesting. Now, their odds to win at most books is 4-1. to one. That's the second highest odds that you can find out there. However, and I don't know if this is just because I'm looking at William Hill in Iowa, but they are 10 to one in at the William Hill app that I have in Iowa. So uh, a pretty big discrepancy there. Just a reminder to shop around because you can find lots of, uh, lots of, of lines out there that provide value. Their win total at Caesars is four, which is middle of the road. They are, which is, it's very interesting, even though they are favored, uh, in a lot of places, um, let me rephrase that, even though they have four to one odds uh, in a lot of places, which puts them at, among the favorites in the league to win the championship. In this game, they are underdogs, two and a half point underdogs at home, which uh, is, is kind of interesting. Uh, if ever there were a point, I think, to, to take a short uh, home favorite, sorry, a short home dog, uh, this actually might be it. But uh, Sean, any thoughts? on how to approach the guardians. <laughs> well, I think, you know, when it comes to the futures, the, the four to one odds, I think it's important to realize that 
books aren't necessarily forecasting which teams are good. It's just where the money's going. And you yeah. think about a team like New York, think about where sports betting is legal. Yeah. They're probably just getting a bunch of action on it. It probably has no impact. Like they probably don't think, oh, the New York Guardians are the, a top two team. So yeah, when you look at the week one spreads, you can tell. There's also another huge discrepancy with Houston, LA, we'll talk about later um, that I found. But yeah, I think that it, it, I would just consider them an average team at this point. But the reason I do like them, like if I were to invest like a win total, the over, their team might be pretty resilient just because they have three solid QBs. They have Matt McGloin, Marquise Williams, and Luis Perez. So I think even if they get some bad injury like a quarterback, um, all teams might have that happen this year. They'd be able to survive with, you know, two quarterbacks going down. So um, I think that gives them a lot of resiliency for future bets. Um, although they, they did have two of their um, top three receivers already suffered um, – injuries that place them on IR. Yeah. So I think that, uh, that took a hit. I mean, that was two of the three top skill picks. You have to factor that in. They took a bit of a hit in terms of injury luck before the season even started, but I'm less concerned about wide receiver as I would be, you know, like Dallas where Landry Jones might be out. Um, that's going to have more impact on the spread. But when you see a cluster injury like that, especially on a new team like this, um, that could impact their passing game uh, to start the season. So I, I'd be careful with them initially, but I think overall, I think, Having three solid quarterbacks on the roster helps them long-term. Uh, I agree there. I'm a little bit dubious about uh, Kevin Gilbride and uh, whether he can really adapt um, to the, the XFL because last we saw, you know, he, he let uh, his offensive system with the New York Giants get kind of stale. Uh, so I will be interested to see uh, what happens. He's brought in uh, G.A. Mangus uh, to be his uh, offensive coordinator and uh, quarterbacks coach. And uh, – you know, he uh, was the offensive coordinator for uh, Cutsdown University uh, and, uh, you know, spent time with South Carolina. He's, you know, has a, a reputation as being someone who's pretty innovative, and it looked like he was doing some pretty interesting things in the college ranks. So uh, maybe he could uh, kind of help spruce up that offense a little bit. Um, to your point about uh, the wide receivers that they have on IR. They actually have four wide receivers on IR right now. So uh, two of the guys that they were planning to start and uh, two guys who are going to be uh, depth players. Mm -hmm. So they are pretty thin at the position right now, which means that uh, their number one receive, receiver, uh, Mikel McKay, uh, I think is going to be someone who's pretty popular and uh, who will get a lot of action, especially in week one. He was one of the better players. Uh, I'd say a top, eh, top five maybe even top three wide receiver in the AAF last year. Um, and someone else who is intriguing is uh, EJ Bibbs, who is actually a pretty productive tight end uh, in college at Iowa State. And uh, just given how thin that uh, this team is at wide receiver, I could see him getting a little more action in week one. Uh, and I think people are going to stay away from tight ends in general. Uh, so I think he could be super contrarian and he might be like one of the, the two or three tight ends who actually has a chance of contributing something uh, in this slate and for the season. Raybon, what are your thoughts on the New York Guardians? Yeah, I think they, this might be a I think this might be a trap. I think they like they're, they have pretty good. They have a pretty good uh, quarterback room. But as you mentioned, they're going to be a little hit uh, at the at wide receiver in particular. I think that when I'm looking at this team, and then they have kind of this committee backfield, Tim Cook, you know, short yardage guy. Like, no one really stands out to me except uh, Mikhail McKay um, in, in terms of difference makers uh, on this offense. So, I, you know, I think that 
when you look at the, the futures market and you see, like as Sean said, they're probably taking a lot of money on New York because Tampa Bay has a, you know, longer odds to win the championship in most books than New York. They're at, you know, four, four, four and a half to one, whereas New York is at four to one uh, on DraftKings at least anyway. And, and yet, you know, at home, uh, New York is the dog. So that, that's kind of telling you that the market, I think, is pretty off in terms of the perception of, of, um, of this team, of, of New York versus the, the reality. So that, this is a team I'll probably be fading. Uh, to be honest, I think I think McKay is is very interesting, but he is, if I'm not mistaken, the most expensive receiver on the slate. Oh no, second most, second most. Rashad, Rashad Ross. Ross is, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. So no, but you know, that all that kind of adds up to to kind of paint a picture of a uh, an inflated perception of a big market team. Uh, perfect opportunity to fade. All right. Well, let's talk about the other team uh, in this matchup: Tampa Bay Vipers. Raymond, as you mentioned, uh, they have longer odds. Uh, the best number I was able to find out there is plus 550. That, uh, that is a number that's kind of lingering out there. That's at Bet MGM. At most books, at this point, they are now plus 400. Um, and it's been bet down in part because uh, a lot of people, no- people noticed that Caesars opened their win total at 7.5, which is the highest in the market. So people were looking at the win total, looking at the longer odds to win, and they were just hammering uh, that futures number. So uh, plus 550, if it is still out there, you can find it at BetMGM. That is a line that I think you would be interested in hitting if you are interested in the futures market for this team. They are favored 2.5 at the New York Guardians. Sean, what are your thoughts on the Vipers? They are coached by Mark Tressman, who has had success in the CFL. And I, I think if there's a league in which you would want to see someone have success and think that that could transfer to the XFL, it would be the CFL. He's had intermittent success uh, with the Chicago Bears. How are you approaching this team? Yeah, I think you're right with the, the CFL experience is huge. One of the better coaching staffs of the league. And they have, they're loaded with pass catchers. Um, unfortunately, they lost Antonio Callaway. To IR, I thought he was going to be one of the best receivers in the league, so they're going to be without him, so we have to factor that in. But, I mean, when it comes to the win total, despite thinking that they're probably the best team in the league, I cannot bring myself to bet the over 7.5 wins before we see them play. I mean, that's betting on them to win 80% of their games or more. I think that's insane. I think betting the under 7.5 win total is probably the only bet I would actually encourage to just max bet. (laughs) So uh, just having said that, like, yes, I I do think they will be probably the top team to start the season, but uh, there's just not enough information to be that bold with a preseason projection. So I I have them closer to six wins, and I think I'm being aggressive. So I think there's about a win and a half of value in that market. Um, You know, the, the futures to win the championship, I think you're bringing in a little bit of luck betting those, but I think when it comes to the win totals, those are the ones where it's easier to just take advantage of the uncertainty heading into the season. So taking it under on a seven and a half number like that, I think is the way to go here. Despite, you know, I think, um, you know, we'll talk about a guy like Aaron Murray. I think he'll be good in DFS. I think this team will be one of the faster paced teams, one of the more dynamic offenses for DFS purposes, but just sports betting, we have to be a little bit careful because we really don't know how any of these defenses are quite yet. So I think, uh, taking with a grain of salt, um, just attack him in DFS and fade him in sports betting right now. Yeah, I'm almost ignoring defenses because one, I think it's it's pretty hard to evaluate uh, defensive players individually, and then two, so much is dependent on the units, and uh, you know we really have no idea of knowing what these units are going to look like. So I'm 
I, I mean, I don't want to say I'm 100% ignoring defenses, but 99% ignoring defenses. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm pretty much ignoring them. So, um, Rayvon, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Mark Trestman uh, in the past has been known as a guy who has fed a lot of targets to his running backs. What is kind of weird about his group of running backs now is that he doesn't have a guy who is kind of like a clear, established pass-catching back. Uh, and, and so uh, in doing the projections, I found myself wanting to give a lot of targets to his running backs, but looking at the running backs that he actually has and thinking like, yeah, I don't really see this guy as being like the locked-in pass catcher for this team. Uh, so how are you approaching the uh, the skill position players and, and the running backs in particular? Well, I think I, I, I like Aaron Murray a lot in DFS. I, he actually is coming up as my number one uh, quarterback in, in our projections, just a, a slight hair above some of the other guys. So I like Murray a lot. He's only a nine, nine K. Yes. So that is the one, two, three. He's like the sixth most highest priced quarterback, depending if, uh, you know, Johnson and, and Landry Jones uh, suit up, but Mark Tressman is really a guy I trust. I think in, in all in various forms of football, he's a guy I think on offense has continuously proven himself at least in terms of putting up numbers. So, you know, Aaron Murray was a guy in, in the AEF had a, you know, the, the touchdown interception ratio was three to seven, I believe, but which is not great, but he had the highest completion percentage or one of the highest at 64.8%. And uh, he was averaging about five yards per carry as well. So I think this could be an explosive offense and, um, you know, not exactly sure when, when I look at the pass catchers, as you alluded to Friedman, how the targets are going to break down. So I think Murray, uh, would be my favorite play from this team until we get more of a kind of, you know, sense of, okay, you know, how are these receivers and, and running backs and, and, and uh, tight ends going to break down? I do think uh, th- their tight end, Nick Truesdale, um, he's probably going to be, uh, I, I would say he's probably the, the top tight end play. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's, the, I think that stack, you know, Murray to Truesdale, um, that's probably the, the, the two players I'm most interested in, of course, on DraftKings, you know, why it's all wide, it's all pass catchers. There's no tight end. So, um, you know, it's not like he is necessarily, um, you know, Truesdale is like a guy that you a must play because he's the top guy to position. He's still 6,900, which is uh, somewhat pricey among the pass catchers. But yeah, I think those two guys stand out. And then everyone else, I mean, they have uh, Santavius Jones and Stacey Coley, Tanner McAvoy, like a bunch of guys, Dante Die. I mean, a bunch of guys with, with, with kind of like fringe, semi-pro or NFL experience that you just you don't really know exactly how those targets are going to are going to break out yeah I'm with you there on uh, on Truesdale who uh was easily the top tight end in the alliance last year and uh one thing that's interesting like we just saw a Super Bowl in which we had the the two best tight ends uh in the game going against each other uh you can see the the benefit that you get as an offense if you have a tight end who presents a lot of mismatch options and I think that's what they see with Truesdale they actually drafted him in the first round uh which you know seems ludicrous uh to to take a tight end that high but obviously they saw something in him and uh I think they really want to use him uh, because of the versatility that he provides. So Truzell, yeah, uh, definitely, I think, uh, the, the top tight end and someone who, uh, despite his position or, like, regardless of his position, might be viable uh, as a, a flex option uh, if you wanted to go that route, but you, you might not need to. But uh, one of the few tight ends you might actually be able to provide value. Uh, Sean, uh, who stands out to you from a DFS perspective? 
Yeah, I, I agree with you guys on Truesdale, but unfortunately there's no tight end position. He's in the flex. So, right. I mean, he's priced out as the top tight end, but not as like the 22nd receiver, which were that's where I would have him ranked. So you kind of have to spend up to be contrarian there, but I love that call. I think the one guy I think I could see like, okay, so Quentin Flowers is sort of the Taysom Hill guy in this offense. Yeah. I could see them throwing it to him. And then we haven't talked about it yet. This, the double this, forward pass. Yeah, yeah. So he can chuck it deep after he catches the pass. So I think he could be a secret weapon that uh, Tressman's thinking here where, you know, they throw him a pass, uh, you know, into the flat and then he runs with it. And then you have, you know, a receiver going down the sideline. He could throw it to him. So I'm, I'm, you know, looking to target some of these like quarterbacks that are playing out of position because I think they're going to be valuable in that aspect. And I, I, I don't know if we're going to see any double passes week one or every team's going to be using them. Like that's sort of the uncertainty I think heading into week one where that could be, you know, pretty dynamic for a player like Quentin Flowers. So um, he's intriguing at running back. Again, he could put up a zero, but um, I think they could use him as sort of a chess piece where they can um, have him throw it after he catches the ball too. A hundred percent agree on, on Quentin Flowers. I think he is like the, uh, the, the like prototype for uh, the like all around guy who can throw the ball run the ball I think he actually might end up being the guy they use the most as the receiving back actually and then uh Tanner McAvoy was also a quarterback in college uh and so I I have him projected for you know like 0.8 pass attempts in this game you know like I I think that they actually will uh go a little bit heavy on uh on the trickery and uh using you know non-quarterbacks to throw the ball uh let's get into the next game here 1 p.m on Saturday the first XFL game of 2020. We have the DC Defenders against the Seattle Dragons. The DC Defenders plus 750 at BetMGM, plus 500 at most books uh, in their odds to win the championship. Their win total is five and a half at Caesars. They, at this point, have been bet up to seven-point favorites uh, versus the Seattle Dragons. Sean, what do you think of the DC Defenders? I like them. Uh, I like their roster. Um, head coach is Pep Hamilton, sort of the QB whisperer with Andrew Luck, and he has Cardell Jones, who's still young, raw. He could end up being the top quarterback in the league. Um, I love the running backs. Uh, Presley led the AF in rushing yards. Pumphrey, I thought, would have been a decent pass catching back in the NFL. Um, and then the receivers, uh, Rashad Ross, uh, he was a stud in the AF. I like Eli Rogers. He has NFL experience. So they're a team, I think, you know, they have potential on paper at the roster and the coaching staff where, um, you know, I think they'd be a team where if, if you just want to bet on coaching and quarter, quarterback potential, they'd be the way to go. But the market has definitely, you know, pegged them as being that team. So they're minus seven, I think it is week one. So I'm not going to be taking any team minus seven week one, but there's just a team I'll probably be investing in. Uh, in terms of DFS and, you know, if they were to lose week one, I could see buying back into them week two because I do think they have the roster. Um, so they're a team I'm just kind of eyeing long-term but not betting on right away. Raybon, what do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I think when we look at this team, I think um, I like some of the receivers definitely. I think, you know, Rashad Ross, Eli Rogers, Simi Cobbs, um, those, are some, those are some guys with some decent uh, – some decent talent here. And then, um, you know, they have uh, Kari Lee, a, a, a tight end. They have Nick Brosette at running back, who was 
was a, a solid kind of plotter for the Pats. And of course, Presley, Pumphrey was a guy kind of that like uh, baby Darren Sproles never really yeah. panned out for him in, uh, in Philly, but uh, I like the weapons actually, you know, all around. And then Cardio, like Card- Cardio Jones is, is I think a little bit too expensive at, at, at uh, 10.2 K, but it, you know, you kind of look at the team and then you say, you know, you could see how he could pay off that salary. So I think in tournaments, um, this is going to be a, a team that I'm attacking in tournaments pretty heavily. Um, and, you know, they actually – who their backup quarterback looks like Tyree Jackson. Uh, so this, is, yeah. this should be a fun team. Yeah. I mean, uh, like this is a I – mean, this team just strikes me as, as pretty explosive, you know, pretty pretty good mix of just talent and explosiveness all around on the offense. So, yeah, I, I, I like this team, and I think it's a great tournament team. And I think we could assume their defense is good considering their nickname, the Defenders, or that'd be funny if, you know, they're the worst defensive team, <laughs> right. though, but their, their team name is the Defenders, so. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. like, their defense is bad, and they have all of these guys on offense. It's going to be a ridiculous DFS, like, fantasy. Like, Yeah, I think that they have a pretty decent chance to be one of the higher-scoring teams in the league, and uh, as you mentioned, Tyree Jackson is the backup. Uh, I think perfectly suited to be the backup to uh, Cardell Jones, uh, kind of similar style uh, of play. So uh, I like them quite a bit. The Seattle Dragons, I don't like them. Uh, I, I look at this team, and I don't know if I dislike them as much as the uh, St. Louis Battlehawks, but uh, I really don't like the combination of Jim Zorn as the head coach and Mike Riley as the uh, offensive coordinator or play caller. Don't think it works well at all. Not really enamored with their quarterback room, Brandon Silvers, B.J. Daniels. I think at some point we will see, you know, some flip-flopping back and forth between those two. If you look at their odds, they are the lowest in the league, uh, 12-1 to at DraftKings uh, and and really across the industry. Uh, Their win total of 3.5 at Caesars is tied for the lowest with the St. Louis Battlehawks. As we mentioned, they are seven-point road dogs uh, against the D.C. defenders this weekend. Sean, I mean, is there anything at all to like about this team? No, but I I think they – are supposed to have one of the better home field advantages. Um, I think they're the first team that sold out. Um, They're on the road week one, so I wouldn't bet them there. But I think maybe at home they might pose value as underdogs at home. But I think you're right. I think they are probably the worst um, team. Yeah, they're the lowest ranked team in my power ratings to start the year. But that, again, that should mean nothing really. But, but yeah, I mean, their roster, I don't even know who's starting week one. I mean, BJ Daniels, and Brandon Silvers, they're pretty much the same in my opinion. So it doesn't matter who starts. Um, so that's not good. When you have a team where you don't even know who's starting at quarterback, that's a bad sign to start. Jim Zorn, I think he's been the longest away from football yeah. um, out of all the head coaches. So that's a major red flag. Again, they kind of remind me of, um, I think it was St. Louis, where I would say their strength is their running backs. They have Farrow and Gardner. I mean, they're kind of like an AAF all-star team at running back, but – just, I think this league, if your best units, you're running back, that's not a good thing. I yeah. don't think it's going to be running. Like, I think you're going to want a good quarterback and good receivers. And I, don't, I just don't think they have that. So um, that'll be great at the beginning of the game. They can just use Farrow and Gardner to start, but then they're going to need to throw. I think that's the recipe for disaster. So, yeah, I think Seattle's probably the worst team uh, to start the year. Their number one wide receiver right now looks like it's uh, Keenan Reynolds, who was a yeah. quarterback at Navy. Uh, yeah. like this is not, this is not a great situation. Like what, they what really other, don't have a true number one receiver. Yeah. And another point, they kept five tight ends. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty clear. They're just going to be a run heavy team. So we'll, we'll see how that works, but maybe in that case, maybe the unders in their games, uh, might be an angle. I might 
attack early on, I, I could see them being a team that sort of favors the under. Rayvon, what do you think? Yeah, it's not uh, it's not very exciting here. I think uh, it's another team. I, I think the main benefit, like main use of them, would be DFS uh, kind of stacks, game stacks, because it's another team. Seems like they're going to be uh, on the on the losing end, or you know, fall, they're going to fall behind. They are seven point underdogs here, so. Uh, a guy like Casey Williams, I think Casey Williams um, had some moments in the preseason for for we was the Seahawks as well. So um, you know, kind of, uh, I think he's a guy that I'd be looking for. And then yeah, Keenan Reynolds, I think those two guys kind of stand out for me because you look at their tight ends. You know, Evan Rodriguez, and, and, like th- those guys aren't really Connor Hamlet they have. So um, a lot of Se- a lot of former Seahawks. Um, but yeah, they, that, like it's Farrow, Farrow, Casey Williams, and Keenan Reynolds. Those those are the three guys that stand out. And I think you know if you're you're uh, kind of building some stacks with DC, I, I think they're worth bringing it back with in, in tournaments. All right, let's talk about this uh, this last game, the late game on Saturday, at 4 p.m. The Houston Roughnecks against the Los Angeles Wildcats. The Roughnecks, you can find them at 10 to one uh, at FanDuel for their uh, odds to win the championship. Their win total is six at Caesars, which is tied for second with the Renegades. They are four-point favorites at home, uh, again, against the Wildcats. This team is interesting. June Jones is the the head coach and uh, the play caller, godfather of the run-and-shoot offense. And so, keeping on brand, this team does not have a tight end. It's not like, oh, uh, they're not going to play a tight end. They literally don't have a tight end on the roster. That's just the way that they're going to go about it. They're going to spread the field with four wide receivers, sometimes even five wide receivers. I think it could be a pretty exciting offense to watch. At the same time, uh, I think there's a, a lot of uh, volatility. Uh, this, this could be a disaster. But um, I'm going to say I'm, I'm optimistic at first, at least. Sean, how are you approaching this offense? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think they're going to be very volatile. They could be either really good or really bad, and we don't really know quite yet. And, you know, I would just want to point out, that's sort of the inconsistency you see in the futures market. You know, they're, they're at 9-1 to now on FanDuel, and L.A. is 6-1, to but uh, Houston's minus 5.5 against them at home. So that doesn't really line up, in my opinion. And I think, if anything, you'd want to take a high – you know, very volatile team like Houston, you'd want them in a market like to win the championship at nine to one. You're just betting on upside anyway. So who cares if they're the last place team? Uh, they, they have potential to be the top team. So you might as well, if you're going to take them, take them nine to one to win it all. And then, you know, when it comes to their offense, I mean, it's not, it's not so bad. They have uh, D'Angelo Henderson at running back. I liked him. I thought he was going to be, you know, a running back for the Broncos for uh, the next few years. So I like him. They have Sammy Coates, really good at wide receiver. He's only 26. And they have a QB battle going. Um, They were assigned Philip Walker, but they spent their first pick um, in the skill draft on Connor Cook. So I think that tells me they didn't want Philip Walker, and they'll probably be starting Connor Cook. Connor Cook, again, he could be the best quarterback in the league. We don't really know yet. I do like his potential, but just their – they're such a volatile team right now. I just kind of assign them as middle of the pack right now. So they're my fourth ranked team, in my power ratings, just because I, I can't really decide if they're going to be good or bad. But like you said, they're going to be the run and shoot offense, four to five wide receivers on the field, all times, no tight ends. So they'll be a high scoring team. I think whatever games they're in early on, I'll, I'll be leaning the over if the market allows it. Raybon, uh, what do you think? Andre Williams is the guy that I'm thinking is probably going to be the lead back, although who knows how long he keeps that job. And even if he keeps that job, 
that job. Who knows if you actually want to start him because he's Andre Williams. Uh, but uh, he's someone who could be in play. And then, as Sean mentioned, Sammy Coates, really interesting. I think has the potential to be the number one receiver in the league just based on his talent and then also the offense that he's in. Uh, what are your thoughts with Houston? It is a team that I'm having a little trouble kind of projecting out some of the workloads. Um, I, like Andre Williams, I mean, uh, he's – I, I, I think I'm going with Henderson as, as the top bat for them. I, I think Sammy Coates, you know, he actually – he projects out as uh, my number one receiver right now. But unfortunately, he's 9,300. So, um, you know, super high priced uh, is Sammy Coates. I, I do think that he – you know, he's a great uh, great tournament play, ton of upside. And then, you know, the receiver depth chart after that is kind of – you know, they have Sam Mobley who – uh, played in the you know in the AAF didn't really do do too much. Um, Cam Phillips, who spent some time with the the Buffalo Bills, but has uh, what is it first percentile speed burst uh, and, and forty yard dash according to Player Profiler. So he's just kind of a you know a six feet two hundred guy. Um, you know that you know maybe maybe he can kind of get get some things going in the in the red zone or, or whatever. But I, it's really tough for me to kind of figure out the workload. So it's not a team I'm going to be uh, really investing too heavily in until uh, I think uh, I can see a little better. But, I, you know, one of their backs I do like, James Butler. He is a guy who I think he spent some time with the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. Um, and he, he really stood out in the preseason. And I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, you know, Freeman, you said it's kind of up in the air with, um, you know, these running backs. I think Butler's listed as fourth on the depth chart right now behind Williams, Howie, and, and Henderson. But yeah. I think that's a fluid situation. And, I mean, from the from the limited action I've seen out of all four of those those guys, I, I would say Butler is the, the most talented of them. So I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, over takes that job over sooner than later. One guy, I don't think he's going to play a big role, but uh, who stands out and uh, will kind of be an interesting litmus test to see like how aggressive teams are with their uh, double forward pass is uh, Blake Jackson, who uh, was a quarterback uh, at D3 at uh, Mary Harden Baylor and uh, now is a wide receiver, uh, you know, a, a speed, uh, a size speed uh, specimen. And uh, given that there are going to be, you know, four to five wide receivers on the field at a time, I think it's uh, actually uh, – there's a decent chance that he could be someone who gets more playing time than you would expect for someone who's a little bit lower on the wide receiver depth chart. Uh, and given his uh, his skill as a quarterback, I could actually see them using him uh, a little bit, both as a passer and as a runner. So he's uh, someone I'm going to be keeping an eye on. All right, let's get to this final team here, the Los Angeles Wildcats. You can find them at 6-1 to one at most books, but uh, – William Hill, and maybe, again, this is just an Iowa thing. Uh, I found them at 9-1, to one. Uh, so something to, uh, to keep an eye on. Be sure to shop around. The win total at Caesars was four. They are four-point underdogs on the road in Houston. This is an, it's an interesting team uh, because Norm Chow is going to be the offensive coordinator for a, uh, a team that has a defensive-minded head coach. You know, we are a long time removed from the uh, Reggie Bush glory days of uh, USC when Norm Chow was the offensive coordinator there. Since then, uh, his performance has been kind of hit or miss. You know, things weren't great with the Tennessee Titans when he was there. Uh, You know, maybe had one decent season with uh, Vince Young as the quarterback, uh, but not a lot to, to be happy about there. Wasn't great at UCLA, wasn't great at Utah. Things didn't really work out all that well at Hawaii, and he's been coaching high school since then. So I'm kind of pessimistic about what we're going to see. That said, Josh Johnson 
could be the best quarterback in the league. So it's hard to know how to balance this. Uh, Elijah Hood has the potential to be one of the top running backs in the league. Sean, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think, you know, like you said, Josh Johnson could be the best quarterback in the league. He was still getting NFL interest. Um, I think the Lions, it was, wanted to sign him, and he got blocked because of his XFL contract. But, you know, he's more of a running quarterback. We'll see how that works in a league like the XFL and how Norm Chow um, handles it. But, yeah, like you said, Winston Moss is a defensive head coach. So I could see them – I don't know if they're going to be good on defense, but I could see them playing good defense and running a lot more. You mentioned Elijah Hood. I do like Larry Rose as well. Juwan Harris has – um, so NFL experience. Their receiving core doesn't look great. Trey Rick Bride um, could be one of the top receivers, and I do like Nelson Spruce. But other than that, um, it's pretty thin. Um, and I, I think they do have probably the second best tight end in the league with Brandon Barnes. So there's there's potential there, but I just don't really. They're hard to peg. So they're one of those teams where I don't really know how they're going to do. They could be either really good or really bad. So right now I just have them middle of the pack, just because they're they're kind of hard to figure out. Rayvon, what do you think? I should point out that Josh Johnson is a is, is the game time decision this weekend, and with a uh, an injury, an unknown injury, by the way. I can't even find out what the injury is, but <laughs> exactly, it's, if it's his left yeah. shoulder, who cares? But if it's his like right <laughs> knee, then we have some issues. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to. I don't. I don't really know what to make of this, other than the line seems to be moving. Uh, in favor of, uh, you know, Houston uh, and away from L.A. So, I, you know, it's tough. I, who's I don't, their backup? Uh, Chad Knoff, uh, Cardinal, who spent some time yeah. with the Cardinals. Princeton. Preseason, yeah. yeah. So, I, I'm, uh, I think I'm knocking jo- Johnson down a little because I don't know how healthy he is. I mean, I, it seems like the injury reporting is going to be frustrating, for, at least that first year. So, for a guy that depends a lot on his uh, legs for, for value, uh, I, I am a little bit concerned here, especially with the line moving against him. So um, this may be a situation where even if he's uh, cleared to play, uh, he, he potentially could end up being uh, over-owned. And, uh, yeah, I think Elijah Hood is a guy who, who's, who's attractive. They might want to lean on him. Um, Sean mentioned, uh, you know, Nelson Spruce. So he is, he's pretty expensive at 8500 I think a couple of guys in this middle tier that – um, maybe the middle tier in general doesn't get touched much in, in, in DFS because, um, you know, you have some these kind of like big names at the top and then you have all these, you know, you have values like Jazz Ferguson and guys you can get in. But uh, a couple of guys with some, with some NFL experience, uh, Saeed Blacknall and uh, Trey McBride um, figure to be among the, uh, among the receivers. So uh, if Johnson does not play, especially, uh, then you have Knopf and he's more of a pocket passer which would then open up more opportunities, I think, uh, for the receivers. So um, it kind of comes down to, to the news we get on Johnson. But if, if Johnson's going to be in, then, then I think it, it, hits, it hurts the receivers a little bit. Um, if he's going to be out, I think, um, I think they might get a couple more opportunities. All right, Sean, you, uh, you said if you had to pick one, uh, one bet to make, it would be under seven and a half wins for the Tampa Bay Vipers. Raybon, if there's one bet that you were going to make, do you have a sense of what it would be out of the, the futures or the win totals or maybe anything in week one? 
the, the line I like the best is Tampa Bay as, as, as a short road favorite. I think like if, if there wasn't a New York team, I think this would be a, an even bigger line. I think they're, I think they're the team that's clearly inflated in a market. And I just don't like looking at the two teams on paper, th- that's the team I like. And I think people are going to kind of, that line isn't going to probably shift too much because you know, a team on the road and you just always expect there to be a home field advantage and it's New York and it's this and that. So give me the favorite with the shortest spread in week one. And that's the Tampa Bay Vipers going to New York to face the Guardians. All right, there it is. Free money. That's going to that's gonna do it <laughs> for this episode of the X-Flex on the Action Network podcast. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore odds maker, Chris Rabon, and Matt F. The Oracle. Use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. Check out the rest of our episodes and live shows this week. Please subscribe to and rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can listen and download on Spotify. It's what all the cool kids are doing. See you again next episode. We're finished talking.